Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. So the series is called Reasons, and this is how the conversation goes. Somebody comes up to me or to you, and they say, give me a reason for why you are a Christian. And the Bible says we must have a reason. 1 Peter 3 says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Someone says, why? Why are you a Christian? Why do you follow God? Why, 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 why? You seem like a fairly normal person. Why would you give away your time, your energy, your money, your everything? Why would you do this? Why would you waste time in worshiping God? And why would you avoid living in all these fun things like drunkenness and you know, whatever, sex and all that kind of stuff. Why, why, why? What's the reason? And we've been giving reasons. James did an awesome talk last week. I was just amazed by it. And if you missed it, please listen on the internet. It's really, really worth hearing. Um, today, mine is di very different to James's. James was extremely um, personal and emotional. Today, I want to talk about historical legal facts. Um, I, there's a couple of amazing quotes that I found. I just want to read them to you. Sir Edward Clarke, who was a British High Court judge, said to me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the High Court, I have secured a verdict on evidence not nearly so convincing. As a lawyer, I accept the gospel evidence unreservedly as the testimony of truthful men to facts that they were able to substantiate. And now... I want to just give you two quotes about Jesus' resurrection. You know, Christians talk about Jesus rising from the dead, and they actually mean it. It's not just some figurative, weird myth, kind of, maybe kind of thing. It's talking about a real man called Jesus who really, really was dead, expired, gone, no more here, and then three days later, alive again. It's a real fact that people talk about. And... I'm going to give you two quotes. The first is by Dr. Simon Greenleaf, who lived in the 1800s. He was one of the founders of Harvard Law School. He authored a three-volume text called A Treatise on the Law of Evidence, which is still considered the greatest single authority on evidence in the entire literature of legal procedure. And he said, according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. That's an amazing thing to say. And if you're thinking, oh, well, yes, that was an 1800s guy, there's a more, more modern man called Sir Lionel Luku. He's considered one of the greatest lawyers in British history. He's recorded in the Guinness Book of Records as the world's most successful advocate with 245 consecutive murder acquittals. He was knighted by the Queen twice, and he said this. He died in 1997, so he's quite a recent guy. He said, I humbly add, I have spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer, appearing in many parts of the world. I say unequivocally, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. So first of all, was this man Jesus a real man? Yes, every encyclopedia, every historical record, every historian in the world says yes he was. And H.G. Wells, uh, the famous author, says, I am a historian, not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth 
is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. There are Roman historians, not Christian, not Bible writers, Roman historians who've written, there's a man called Tacitus, he called Jesus Christus. He said, Christus suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of Pontius Pilate. And another one called Flavius Josephus said, there lived a man, Jesus, a wise man, if indeed you can call him a man, for he was one who performed surprising deeds. He was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many Greeks. Uh, upon the accusation of the principal men among us, Pilate condemned him to a cross. Those who had first come to love him did not cease. He appeared to them, spending a third day restored to life. Um, and the tribe of Christians is, has still not disappeared. So there were historians who spoke about Jesus. Who am I? I'm just a little nobody in the 20, uh, 2016. What do we record our dates from? 2016 years after a man was born, really just in, an, in a little forgotten corner of the world. Palestine, a little village, a little town, uh, Bethlehem, Galilee, not a rich man, not an educated man, not a king, didn't have an army, didn't have a lot of all the world's trappings of success, and yet he's changed history. And so I want to talk about this man, Jesus. I'm going to just describe him to you from what the Bible says. Uh, first of all, his character, what he was like, what he said, how he said it, the things he did, the miracles he did, and the effect that he had on people around him. And then secondly, I'm going to talk about his death and his resurrection. And at the end, I'm going to ask you, did this man really exist in your, remember we talked about a truth meter, in your heart, did he exist and who was he? Because really, it's the biggest question you can ask or answer in your entire life. There's lots of questions we can ask and answer. Should I marry this person? Should I do this job? Where should I live? All these different questions, but actually none of those affects your life as much as the question, was Jesus who he said he was? Because if he wasn't, that's fine, at least you've dealt with it. But if he was, it affects not just here and now, but it affects eternity. So let's look at this amazing man, Jesus. I'm going to read you a few stories. The first is from Luke chapter 6, verse 17. It says, He came down with them and stood on a level place, a nice big plain field, like a rugby field, but much bigger, with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people. Uh, it describes four places these people came from, and most historians believe there could have been up to 20,000, 30,000 people at, on this one occasion gathered on this big place to meet with Jesus. It says, A great multitude from all Judea, Jerusalem, Tyre, and Sidon came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed. The whole multitude tried to touch him, for power was going out from him and healed them all. Just one little phrase, healed them all. Can you imagine how many thousands of lives were turned around that day? People who'd had diseases that for years they couldn't get free from, and they were all healed and touched. But not only that, he then went on to speak. The next verse says, Then he lifted up his eyes and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, exclude you, revile you, cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner they treated the fathers, the, your father the prophet. 
But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your, your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. People's lives, they had never heard somebody speak the words that Jesus said in the way that he said them. In Luke chapter 7, there's a story of a lady. She was a widow and her only son had died. And she's coming out of a town called Nain with a funeral procession. Can you imagine the people in the funeral procession? They're thinking this poor woman, she's a widow, lost her husband. Now she's lost her only son and they're weeping and wailing and they're coming out of the city. And it says as they were coming out, Jesus was coming into the city with a whole multitude around him. So there's a dead son and lots of weeping and hopelessness. And there's an alive son, Jesus, the son of God, and a crowd with him full of hope and, and purpose and joy. And it says, um, Jesus had compassion on the woman. He stopped. He saw this funeral procession. He, he said to her, do not weep. And she must have thought, who on earth are you to say this to me? Then he went up and he touched the open coffin. And the young boy got up and began to speak. And it says, Jesus presented him to his mother. This changed people's lives. You can imagine why that whole region around Israel, for the three years that Jesus was doing his ministry, that whole region was transformed. There was, historians say there was no sickness for that, for that three years in many, many square miles around. Absolutely incredible. What about the woman in adultery? John 8 verse 7. There's this lady who um, has been caught in the act of adultery. I'm going to just read it to you because it's such a beautiful passage. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned to death. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. You see, they were testing him to see, does he break the law? or uh, by showing compassion, or does he say, yes, stone her, and then everyone says, oh, he's not, a, he's not a kind man. They were trying to trap Jesus, but think about the woman, because I've often felt like this woman, exposed, ashamed, uh, worthless, and everybody around me looking at me, and Jesus, look at how he responds. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. And when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Um, then they, they were all convicted and they started leaving one by one. Verse 10, When Jesus raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman. He said to her, Woman, where are you, those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Can you imagine the change in her heart? This man is amazing, Jesus. She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Now go your way and sin no more. And there were many of these stories. Jesus called the disciples when they were fishing. And he said, Come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they left everything and they followed him. Matthew, the tax collector, was sitting at his tax collecting table. Uh, the Jews hated him because he would gather taxes for the Romans. Jesus came to him and said, follow me. And he left it all and he became one of Jesus' disciples. Simon the Zealot. Zealot means he was a political activist. He wanted to overthrow the Romans. Jesus said, come and follow me. And Simon followed Jesus. 
Uh, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and, the, and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus said, um, come to me all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus fed the 5,000. He did the most amazing things. But now I just want to talk briefly about the claims that he made about himself. You know, if a man stands up and he says, I am God, I'm coming at the end of time and I'm going to gather all humanity and I'm going to judge them and send some to hell and some to heaven. What will you think of a man like that? If someone stands up and says, if you've seen me, you've seen God, what do you think of a man like that? Do you think he's a good man and a kind prophet and a wonderful teacher? You don't, because either he's absolutely bonkers mad, or he's an evil man trying to get people to follow him, or he is who he said he was. There's no middle ground. Now listen to what Jesus said. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's talking about himself. Everyone knew what he was saying here. He said, when I come in my glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. <laughs> this, this is extraordinary what he's saying about himself. He says, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him. He said, for which of my miracles are you wanting to stone me? They said, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. And then the Jews said to him, you're a young man. How can you say all these things? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. And he was using that phrase in the Old Testament when Moses said to God, what is your name? God said, I am. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Claiming to be God. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he is dead, yet shall he live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then at his trial, he kept silent and answered nothing. And the high priest asked him, saying to him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So my question is, who was this man Jesus? Wisdom, love, kindness, authority, miracle power, just an amazing way of relating to people, forgiving sins, blessing people, saying that he was God. Who was he? And I want, to, I want to talk about his death and resurrection. And I'm just, I've cobbled together verses from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to try and give you a full story of his death and resurrection. It says, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. This was a whipping which involved several pieces of leather with bone and lead in the whip. And as they whipped, they would rip off part of his flesh and his back, often so that bones and organs were revealed. So he was terribly whipped. Then it says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. All these soldiers gathered around him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Then they struck him on the head. Remember, he's got this crown of thorns on his head. They struck him on the head with a stick and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And then he had to carry this heavy wooden cross. 
not nicely smooth. It had splinters. He had to carry it on his back. Bear in mind, he hasn't eaten now for nearly 24 hours. He hasn't had anything to eat or drink, and he's been awake the whole night. Uh, he's carrying this heavy cross after the beating. He goes up to a place called the place of the skull, and they crucified him. And many women followed Jesus from Gal Galilee, were ministering to to him, and they were there watching from afar, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the, the mother of Zebedee's sons. Then the soldiers came after several hours on the cross. It had gone dark. There'd been uh, amazing signs and things in the weather around them. The, the sun had turned dark. And the soldiers came and saw that Jesus was already dead. They wanted to break the legs of the, of the people being crucified, but Jesus was already dead. So just to check that he was dead, they put a spear in his side and immediately blood and water flowed out, which shows that he was dead. His, his heart had actually burst and blood and water flowed out. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with spices as the custom of the Jews was to bury. So they would put spices all around the body, including all over his face, and then wrap linen all around it. So there was no way, if he had still been alive, there was no way that he could still breathe. And um, when Joseph had taken the body, he laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb. They'd cut the tomb out of the rock. There wasn't different entrances and exits. It was just a, a cave that they had cut out and they put a large stone and the body was wrapped up and put in there. Mary Magdalene watched where they'd buried him and the other Mary and various others. Um, and in Matthew 27 it says that the chief priests and Pharisees went to the Roman authorities and said, Sir, we remember while he was still alive that he said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he is risen from the dead. Pilate said to them, you have a guard. In other words, he gave him a garrison of soldiers. He said, go your way and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So those who... Remember the lawyers said there's evidence for Jesus' resurrection. These are the main points. People who say Jesus didn't rise again, the first objection they use is they say he wasn't really dead. When he was put in the tomb, he had just fainted, and then he kind of somehow woke up in the tomb, and he himself rolled the big stone out of the way, and then he escaped, and he went and you know, hid somewhere, and, and that's why the tomb was empty on the third day. How's your truth meter on that? Bear in mind, the Romans were experts at crucifying people. They knew how to kill people. They did it so often, and crucifixion was a gruesome way of dying. And Jesus had not just been crucified, but flogged and beaten and all these different things done to him. And then they put the spear in his side and blood and water came out. I'm sure that Jesus was dead. And even if he wasn't, Covering his face with linen and spices, he wouldn't have been able to survive. And then three days in a cold tomb, after being beaten like that, he would not be alive and able to revive and roll a stone away. Jesus was dead. That's why the lawyers say it's incontrovertible. He was dead. But the tomb was empty on the third day. So what happened? Remember, there was a guard of soldiers posted outside, and they put a big stone and they sealed it. And the soldiers, if they failed in their duty, the penalty for them was death. They would not have failed. They would not have allowed somebody to steal the body. 
And even if someone had stolen the body, imagine the disciples had stolen the body, those same disciples were willing afterwards to be martyred for their testimony that Jesus had died and risen again. If, if they knew they were lying, they would have said, okay, sorry, here's the body. Or if the body was hidden somewhere, someone would have found it, but nobody produced a body. And the disciples were willing to die for their testimony that Jesus had risen again. That's why lawyers say it's incontrovertible. And then there were 500 eyewitnesses, the Bible says, of Jesus rising again, of, of him appearing after he'd risen again. 500 people. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says most of those 500 people are still alive. You can go and speak to them. Eyewitnesses, hundreds of them, all saying the same thing. Jesus rose again. But the biggest evidence for me is the effect on the disciples and on the others and on the others and the others and the others all the way up to me. We heard James's story last week of how he was changed by Jesus. I have a story of how I've been changed by Jesus. The reality is there are millions of people. Those first disciples were transformed by this new risen Jesus and Millions of people through history can say the same thing. He's alive. He's alive. I had a friend in Zimbabwe whose farm had been taken away from them, but they had borrowed a huge amount of money from the bank um, based on the farm. And when the farm was taken, they had no way to repay the money, and it was a terrible weight on her shoulders. Um, she would come into work every single day. I worked with her and she would worry about this amount of money that she owed to the bank and no way of paying it back. And one day she came into work and she said to me, I've got a letter from the bank and they've said your debt is completely written off and cancelled. And she was amazed. She said, how on earth is this possible? How could they have just written off my debt? But the claim of the letter, it was on a bank letterhead and it looked official, the claim of the letter was so momentous that she, she had to check it out. She couldn't just put that letter in a drawer and say, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out maybe one day. She had to go to the bank and say, is this true? Because if it was true, the effect on her life was so dramatic. Friend, the claims of Jesus are so dramatic they are so momentous. They affect so much that we have to say, what am I going to do with this? It's like I've got a letter from heaven, from God. And he says, if you believe this and if you receive Jesus, all of your debts are written off. You would be amazingly foolish to say, oh, well, I'll just put it in a drawer. Oh, well, I'm sure clever other people will figure it out. I don't need to think about it. No, you and I need to think about this. So my question is, who was Jesus? Was he who he said he was? Did he rise again? And if he did rise again, what does it mean for you and me? Let me just read you about Mary Magdalene's story. Mary Magdalene was the lady that had been a prostitute and had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus. And after that, she became one of his closest followers who he loved and she loved him and she just worshipped him. And she was the first one he appeared to when he rose again. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. 
And then she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She thought he was a gardener and she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. And her life was changed. And many, many other people's lives have been changed. I just want to say for me, and you, the, the sermon series is Reasons. I'm going to give you four reasons. If Jesus rose again from the dead, as a fact of history, not an emotional experience, not something that I'm just kind of wishing as a myth. If there was a man called Jesus who did and said the things that the Bible says about him, and if he died and rose again, it means four things to me. The first is that this physical world of science and explainable you know, cause and effect and what I can measure and see and taste and touch, this is not all there is. If a man can be killed and come to life again three days later, it proves to me that there is more to this world than I can physically sense. Isn't that true? There's a whole other realm. There's something else out there. That's the first thing. The second thing that it proves to me is that Jesus is who he said he was. All those things where he said, I'm going to come again at the end of time and I'm going to judge the whole world. He said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you and then I'm going to come back and take you to be with me. All those things he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. If he rose again from the dead, it's all true. He is who he said he was. And he says in Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and fellowship with him and he with me. Jesus is still alive. This is my third point. If he rose again, not just is there more to life than the physical world, not just is he who he said he was, but he's alive today. He's still alive. He's here now. And just like he was then, he is today. Hebrews 13 says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As he loved people, as he spoke words of love and wisdom, as he healed people, as he did all these amazing things, he's here today. He's alive today. And then the fourth thing. If Jesus rose from the dead, there is nothing in heaven or on earth that he cannot overcome. Nothing. There is no power, there is no force, there is no enemy, there is no bad situation, there is no stronghold, there is nothing too strong for Jesus. If he can rise again from the dead, he's the conqueror of all, and if he's in my life, there is nothing too hard for him. So you ask me, what is my reason? I believe Jesus lived and died, that he was the most amazing man, but that he rose again, and because of that, whether I feel emotional or not, whether I, I have an experience with God or not, those historical facts prove to me I can trust this man. And as a result, I open my heart to him. At the age of 17, somebody said to me, will you decide to follow Jesus for the rest of your life? And I said, yes. I didn't feel very emotional at the time. I just said, yes, Lord Jesus, I believe in you and I will serve you for the rest of my life. And something supernatural happened on the inside of me. I can't explain it. It was a simple decision, but I was changed on the inside, and it's been getting better and better and better 
ever since. I've been now experiencing things, whereas before it was just a decision of my will, I now sense him and experience him. I talk to him every day. He's real. He's helped me. He's healed me in so many ways. And I'm now going to ask you, I don't know if you've ever been on jury duty, but today you are the jury. Jury duty. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm asking you to weigh up the facts, to look at the evidence. Was there a man called Jesus? What was he like? Was he who he said he was? Or was he mad in the head? Or maybe just deluded? Or, or, or maybe evil trying to get people to, to do something and follow him? Or was he who he said he was? Did he die and rise again? And if he did, what are you going to do with it? You got this letter from the bank of heaven that says all your sins are forgiven. All you have to do is accept him. He's knocking on the door and saying, open the door and I will come in and forgive you and change your life forever. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.